Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. And so begins a new year. And so it begins as well for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome back around to the show, wherever you might be listening. Podcast One, Spotify. I looked us up on Spotify a couple weeks ago. That was cool to find us there. iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And Happy New Year, and Happy New Year to you, Dave. Why, thank you, Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And I'm Joel Hoover, and it is indeed Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport here in Bemidji. And they're reopening. They are, like other theaters across the state, reopening and starting to uh, to get back to ha- allowing people to come on by in person. Don't know what the plans are yet for the Bemidji Theater as far as movie releases, but you can check that out on their website and, and keep up with what's happening. Um, you go through cectheaters.com. Uh, to get to the Bemidji Theater and to the website there for them. But um, we are glad to have them as a sponsor of the podcast. We are glad to continue to point people toward getting concessions from them. If you're not comfortable with going to the movies right now, go get some concessions from them. That's the best thing that you can do to be able to continue to provide them some business here uh, during the pandemic. Well, just real quick, movie theaters generally make their money not from the movie tickets they sell, but from the concession booth. That's why you know a thing of pop is $3 versus you know, $0.50, cents, $0.60, cents, because that's where they make their money from. For every ticket they sell, they might keep a dollar. Of depending on what the price of the ticket is, and the rest of it goes back to Hollywood. So, dollar a ticket, that's not enough to sustain your business. That's what the snack bar's for. So, like me, I haven't gone to see a movie since I think January of 2020 when I saw 1917. That was the last movie I saw in the theater. Uh, not because I don't want to, but uh, go by all means, swing by the snack bar. I've got they've got this popcorn bucket deal, it's like an ice cream bucket. And it's $20 to get the bucket and then $3 fill up for the remainder of 2021. And who knows if they'll extend it? They could, possibly. It's a great deal, and it goes to support them, and it makes things a whole lot easier for them. If you're not going to go, go grab yourself an Icy, only place I think in town you can find one of those, and some great popcorn. You can't beat movie theater popcorn with the butter, and now all of a sudden I want to go to the theater Oof, right now, this moment. In the morning. In the morning. You're a popcorn in the morning kind of guy. Who can't live without popcorn any time of the day? You're telling me you didn't have a bowl of popcorn sitting on your table in the house. You wouldn't grab one day or night. doesn't matter. There are some yes. foods I don't eat at certain times of the day. Popcorn during the morning. It just doesn't <laughs> jive. It's like eating a steak in the morning. Steak and eggs. But I'm with you. Well, I'm not a steak and eggs guy. That's true. Yeah, that's true. If you make it steak and eggs, sure. That makes a little bit more sense, but I don't know. Popcorn is just such an afternoon or evening kind of thing with a movie, but in the morning... What is it, a cocktail? It's popcorn. Not till before five, my gentleman, my good man, but once we're past five o'clock, of course I'll have a handful of that popcorn. Well, in that cartoon image of of our show that we have set up in front of the marquee, we have designated that I was probably the guy in the suit and you're probably the guy who's got the V-neck. And, and the, the beard and the the scruff, yeah, or beard scruff, whichever you prefer, yeah. All right, today um, we are getting into a topic that might make you tear up a little bit and wonder if we are cutting some onions in this place. It's going to be spoiler filled as well because we're talking primarily about like ways that movies get you to to cry a little bit. The and, tear jerkers, yes, the tear jerkers indeed, but. We're probably going to talk about some of the the ways that we get there. So spoilers will be a plenty. Um, we'll give you another reminder of that later on. So but if you don't feel like having an early cry, exactly. Stop listening. But the big news today is is of course the fact that theaters are being allowed to reopen at least here in the state of Minnesota. Um, now we might be having listeners from other states. It might be a little bit different in your state, but here in Minnesota, that's the big news. The theaters are being allowed to reopen. We're capacity waiting capacity limits at least yes. here. Yeah. Yeah. We're waiting to see what that might look like then as far as 
movies that are in theaters right now and what what's going to be hitting Other than the big Wonder screen. Woman, is there anything new in the theater? There's the one with Denzel Washington that's coming up. Um, and those might be the only two. As far as major movies, yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot that's had big time publicity that's in theaters right now. But yeah, for people in Minnesota, they've got the chance to go see Wonder Woman on the big screen now. I think I I got to think this is going to resemble say the second half of summer. You had all these classics that have been out for decades, Jaws, Jurassic Park, they were all back out and Tenet, which I've seen, by the way. Um so you had one new movie and a whole bunch of today. classics that you've probably seen a bunch of times, but that's why they're classics. I would love to see, I saw Jurassic Park on the big screen, never saw Jaws and would love to. That movie messed my head up, and it just messed me up some more if I saw it on the big screen. That's, yep. I don't need to swim anymore. No, no, really. You guys have fun. Summer of 2021 might be lacking in lakes for Dave. Yeah. No, I mean, I've if seen... If you do see it on the big screen. I've seen... I, I'll go again, but even now, as a grown adult, I know there's not a fish out there any longer than my, my shin. You know, big, long walleye or pike or something. Doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure as I'm hanging on underneath the boat and looking at my feet floating in the big green abyss below me, was that a giant, did I just see a gray blur the size of a greyhound bus? It just, it's not an intelligent thing. It's not your brain, it's your gut. Leviathan is out there. Yeah, and all of a sudden my gut trumps (laughs) my brain and I need to get the heck out of this lake right now. That's right. So you saw Tenant I finally saw Tenant. That's news in and of itself too. (laughs) For you, you've been like at the starting line. Like, come on, let's talk about tennis. Let's talk about tennis. Let's talk about tennis. I can't. I haven't seen it. Now we I've had a it. portion of the podcast where, for the first time ever, you and I were separated, yeah. and I talked about something that you hadn't seen yet. That, yeah. rem- I, that's, that reminded me. I should go back and listen to it because I haven't listened to it because I wasn't there for one, and B, I didn't want to spoil it. So I'm interested on in your take. I'll have to go listen to your. Uh, your uh, your version of the podcast where I ducked out. Well, basically, you told me after you watched it, I need to watch it again to yeah. flesh it out more, which is the common answer with Tenet. It's a very, very complex movie, and yet the complexity, Dave, you said was not as easy to flesh out as Inception, which is a very good bit of assessment um, with Tenet. If you haven't seen it yet, we're going to get into the movie here a little bit, at least a tiny bit, um, to get Dave's thoughts on it, uh, so be forewarned. But it is a little bit harder to flesh out, or maybe considerably harder for some people, to flesh out than a movie like Inception, which in and of itself is quite the concept. But it was a little bit harder to flesh out because you didn't feel that it was quite as natural in its fleshing out of the details that came with it, which I would agree with. Like I still think Tenet is an awesome movie, especially visually, but not as easy to pick up on the threads of what makes it all work as some of the others, and because it's a little bit surface level in terms of character development and not it doesn't quite grab you as much in that regard. So we'll talk Tenet real quick and then we'll dive off the board into, you know, the other the other wet tear dropping movie. Dive so, off the board. Deep concept movies, uh cinematography can do a lot. Um like for example, Hunt for an October, the the interior of the submarines are different colors based on which submarine it is. So as they're cutting from the interiors of one sub to the next, you can follow that, okay, we've switched from this sub to that sub. With Inception, that's a dream within a dream within a dream and so forth. Each dream visually looks very distinct from the others. So when you're cutting from people in a van in mid-freefall and you're cutting to hovering in an elevator shaft, you're cutting to a winter landscape, you know where you are in the dream. So it cuts. With Tenet, you've got the red team and the blue team. And okay, one team... We've already talked about minor spoilers, and this movie did come out in around the summertime, but a lot of people haven't seen it yet, so we won't completely diverge spoilers. But you do know that it has something to do with time travel forward and backward. So you have one team moving forward with a red team, the other team moving backward with a blue team. Okay, so that's something to distinguish. This is a movie that will reward you on repeated viewings. You're going to pick up a lot more, like watching The Naked Gun. I will still, I've seen that movie a hundred times, I will still see it and pick something up that's the hundredth and first time I've seen it that I did not get the first hundred times. Tenet is one of those. Inception inverted is one time, of those. Inverted time will do that. Exactly. Yeah. Watching Memento, another Christopher Nolan movie, at the end of the movie, is like, wait, what? what? I, had, I, I just became aware of it. It just changed everything. I had to watch it again right then, right there. 
Things like Inception, I got it. I remember the first time go around, and I really, really got it. I mean, it, it really held my hand enough to get me through it so that I really wasn't missing things. I didn't feel that was the case with Tenet. I know I'm going to like it more when I watch it again, but I, I know I got the gist of it, but I also have questions, and I have, you know, wait a minute, there might be a plot hole when you start thinking about this, and I don't want to go too, di- too deep into it because I don't want to give away too many spoilers. It's too new. But um, I, I think it needed one more pass in the creative, the writing phase. I mean, it's really, really good. It just needs another 10 minutes in the oven, you know, and a little more hand-holding, more so than just red team, blue team, and I think I would have it. And there weren't, that I picked up on the first go-round, enough wink nudges, you know, with the usual suspects, and you find out who Kaiser Soze is. It was played in such a way through the movie that when you see it again, knowing where it's going to go, you see these winks and nudges. The character was played in such a way that it could go either way. Maybe I'll find something like that when I rewatch Tenet, but I really didn't pick up on it at all the first time go around these some winks and nudges about, eh, we know something you don't know. <laughs> I think you'll see those on the second time okay. well, you've, of How watching. many times have you seen it? Two? I've seen it three now. Okay. Yeah, because I saw it twice in theaters and and then of course I watched it after I bought it, okay. um, and and I own it now. So, yeah, you, I think you'll pick up on more with another watch, or y- you'll have in the back of your mind. You can at least put the things that you understand in the back of your mind, and maybe start to decipher more of it. Otherwise, so good movie. We'll I recommend it later. You have to pay attention. This is not one of those that you put on at the party. Right. You know, and let's all watch Tent. No, no. You need to, everything shuts let's down. Let's sit down and watch Get it. Get your popcorn. Yeah. Let's watch. Don't talk. But I love that his movies, Christopher Nolan's movies continue to go with concepts that are not entirely far-fetched, although they do drift into the movie realm and, and take them to a, that kind of level. But they, he uses some real-world concepts and, and some interesting concepts. I mean, Inception, dream within a dream kind of stuff. Um, here with this, I don't know if there's any concept for inverted time, but if you want to go into a quote-unquote science fiction kind of realm with it, I mean, you can at least use some, some real-life concepts to to set the framework for whatever your science fiction thing is that you want to try to do and and therefore it gives it a little bit of realism then as a result i would compare this to going on the slingshot ride at the state fair you got your giant strapped to a giant bungee cord with a lawn chair pretty much and then they rocket you straight up and then when it gets tight again you rocket back down to earth just as fast so it's it's like a double whammy as far as the directions it goes. Literally, you see things play out the first time go around going one way, and then you kind of loop back, and now you're seeing the same thing from that other perspective. Yep. It's 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 interesting. It's different. I I know that I'm going to benefit from reviewing it. I give it a good review. I think it needs another pass. Um, maybe a slightly better motivation. But uh, other than that, it was very, very good. I can't wait to see whatever uh, Nolan's working on next. I have no idea what he's working on next, but I can't wait to see it. But I had no idea what was coming next after Dunkirk, and then Tenet was what came along. So All of a sudden, there's a preview. What? Huh? Oh, yeah. So we'll see. Um, So you, by the way, uh, along the way in talking about that, you gave kind of an indicator of what our next episode for Rick and Nick is going to be. We're going to get into talking... Um, movie endings in in the future, and we'll we'll discuss good and bad endings. But today, we're going the tearjerker route. We're going to cut some onions in here. We're going to talk about things that that elicit that kind of answer. And so there will indeed be spoilers with this. So keep that in mind. But Dave, that is one of the most frequent questions that I share with people. And usually, I'm not the person asking this question. Usually, it's somebody else asking me this question. Have movies ever made you cry? And what movies have ever made you cry? Very common question when talking about movies. Have you encountered that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Even at my grown old adult age, I'll you know I'll tell you a good one to start off with is a, a, a Tim Burton movie called Big Fish, and it's about fathers and sons. Have you ever seen Big Fish? I have not. So this is one I would loan you. You'd like it. If you like Tim Burton movies, it's absolutely Burton-esque. Um, to you, it's got a lot <laughs> Tim of Tim Burton movies aren't my favorite, but I can understand why they, they've got 
a following. It's yeah. much more grounded in reality. It's the probably one of the only Tim Burton movies without Johnny Depp. You know that doesn't feature Batman, but it's got Helena Bonham Carter. It's got Danny DeVito, but it's Ewan McGregor and um, um, oh uh, Albert Finney, and they play the same character at different ages. And Albert Finney's character is finally dying, and so his son Billy Crudrup comes home while you know the, the things are happening. And telling the story of his father's life, and then the younger version is played by Ewan McGregor, and uh, it's a fantastic movie, and it's it is one of those that'll make me cry, and it's one of those that uh, you know at the end, it, it and it came out not too long before my father died, and so after he died, I couldn't watch it for a long time, and then there was one period not that long ago where for I can't remember why, but I was on my own for the week, and I was like, okay. Okay, I can blubber and no one will be around and it'll all be good. And so I rewatched it and oh yeah, oh yeah, the hydrant was on. It gotcha. But yeah. it's one of those, you know, one of the, and the reason why this works so well is the reason that movies work so well, almost better than a play, almost better than uh, television, is it pulls you in in a way that is almost unique to film. And it will make you feel what it wants you to feel. It'll make you think what it wants you to think. If it wants you to make the bad guy a sympathetic character, it can't. The protagonist becomes the antagonist or vice versa. And so this is going to make you feel the way it wants you to feel. And so when you feel those moments of loss, particularly if it resonates with something that is as connective tissue in your life or in your life experience, you're right back there. It might have happened a little differently in your life, but the way that it's happening on screen connects to that and then it's you know it might make you cry even before and then once it happens for you and your your dad passes away or your mom passes away now whatever it was before is amplified even more so but it's also kind of cathartic in a way maybe when you're when it happens in real life you're trying to be strong you've got enough you know logistics you need to take care of you don't have time to let yourself go and maybe you're a tough guy and tough guys don't cry and then you watch this movie and others like it and it it's going to get you. It's like plucking a nostril hair. It's connected to your tear glands. You can't pluck one of those without a little, you know. So maybe it is a cathartic way in letting something out that you're trying to hold back otherwise. Maybe it's the way to finally let it out in the first place. But it is one of those that, uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, It absolutely, and there's others too, that it will get me. But this gets me for that reason and that one in a lot of ways, maybe because Albert Finney resembles in passing my dad. I mean, I don't think I would cast one as the other stunt double or anything, but enough common ground that it there's, there's, there's some connectivity there. So when it happens to him, it kind of happens to me a little bit. Great movie. Accent excused, probably though, on that one. Well, he's got he's he's got like a southern accent. Albert Finney's oh. a Brit. And so the, the movie takes place largely in the Deep South. Oh, and so Ewan okay. McGregor, who's Scottish, and Albert Finney, I think he's Welsh. I might be wrong, but they're both British. and uh, But they're doing Deep South accents, and it works. I see. You know, the movie is so different in that it just, like I said, it's very Tim Burton-esque. Uh-huh. There's giants, and there's witches, and wow. but, but a lot of it is, was it real? Or Albert Finney's character is such a storyteller that he embellishes on everything. You know, his wife that he caught actually was a big giant fish, and so is he. And that's how you, you know, you use a wedding ring to lure them in. So is it really that fantastical, or is it just an embellishing storyteller that's turning, yeah. oh, and then we went to the park and I met her and we, we hooked up? Or are you turning something basic into a richly crafted story? Other people will have stories, but they're not interesting. What you described reminds me a lot of what Leonardo DiCaprio describes in Inception about yeah. the world of the dream. You create the world of the dream. In this case, the dream, the illusion is the movie. You create the world of the dream, and then the people who are a part of that dream, he says, they go in and they, they stash their secrets in there. For us, we are stashing our emotions within this setting. And these movies, like you said, they elicit certain reactions and emotions that come with them, or that's their goal. And if you craft a really good dream, quote-unquote, to borrow from Inception, if you craft a really good setting with the movie, people are going to invest their emotions more. That's why you are riding on the edge of your seat during a chase. That's why you are... 
you are getting so emotionally invested and excited during during a big sporting event within a movie or some culminating event, even if it is based off of a real-life one, like a miracle. When they hit the ice to get ready to play the Soviets, you just have a rush of adrenaline when they're hitting the ice and you hear USA, USA pounding there. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing. The theater I saw that in was like going to the game. You may as well have been sitting in the stands. People are cheering at every goal. USA through the movie and exactly this, you know seeing that in the New York theater would be one thing because people will talk openly in a movie theater in New York City this was in Bemidji Minnesota but that doesn't really happen you may as well have been at the Olympic ice sheet arena exactly and movies that go for an emotional response in a deeply emotional way driving you to tears moving movies in that way they will go for the same thing whether it's through bonds between characters, relationships, you know, things that people can relate on in their own way to from from real life experiences. And they play off of that within this movie to elicit that emotional response that will come with it too. Tragedy is is so often a big part of it. You know, whether it's whether it's a dramatic tragedy of of person to person interpersonal tragedy or tragedy of circumstance warlike tragedy especially for men i i think war movies well if you ask men and women what movies move them to tears there are there are some big differences that sometimes happen not not exclusively but sometimes will happen when you ask them interpersonal dramatic relational kind of of emotional response is what you often get with women often not always with men oftentimes it's it's things like circumstance of war you know things like that again not always sometimes it's interpersonal sometimes it's relational men and women both i think there's a lot of relational ones that they can agree on even if it's maybe different kinds of relational movies that really that really move them but that's that's purely from observation that i've had when when people will ask me that question or when i see group asking of that question so what movies move you to tears that's what you get but you still it's the same thing it's feeding off of past examples and past experiences to this is what drives me to that kind of response when i'm watching a movie well i think you know it's it's a general thing where guys are drawn to sports movies girls are drawn to you know hallmark channel or whatever i'm drawing a very basic comparison obviously but that's not to say that i haven't had a sports movie on like uh hoosiers or something that my wife or girlfriend or whomever could care less about but you know they're not in charge of the remote tonight so they're watching it with me and they get drawn in and they like it and the same thing with the Hallmark Channel. I'm not saying that I've never sat down and watched a Hallmark Christmas movie and enjoyed it. Yes, of course I did, but it's not the kind of thing I'm drawn to. Movies and shows, when they're done right, are highly manipulative and hopefully in the best way because they're trying to get you to go along on this journey. The bad guy, you want to sympathize with the bad guy. So we do things to manipulate you. I would never go and go along with a bank robber, but you might with Steve McQueen. You know, you just might. You know, uh, what a dashing bank robber made George Clooney in uh, Out of Sight, you know, so he becomes the protagonist even though he's the bad guy. That's how this works. So when this character meets his demise, when Obi-Wan gets struck down by Darth Vader, uh, well, he's been the mentor. He's kind of been like your dad through the first, you know, two-thirds of the movie, and dad isn't going to be around to the end, you know, and that breaks your heart. And and others, a hundred like it. You know, that's what makes these work. And then there are some that are, you know, why do we seek out a movie that we know is going to make us cry? It's a movie that I've never seen, but it's well-known. Beaches, Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey. It's known as one of the great tearjerker. You're going to cry your eyeballs out. I know you got to look it up. Not Beaches. I never heard of Beaches. Bette Midler did the song The Wind Beneath My Wings for the movie Beaches. And it's considered, it's one of those stories about lifelong friends and how it goes. And it's a tearjerker. One of the movies that I like is called uh, Terms of Endearment, and it's another one that came out in the early 80s. Um, it's got uh, Deborah Winger. It's got, um, uh, I was going to say Olympia Dukakis, but that's not it. It's got, uh, oh, help me, uh, her real-life brother and sister with Warren Beatty. Um, oh, forgive me. I know her name. I could see her name. I could see her face, and I can't say it. Jack Nicholson won an Oscar for it. Look up Terms of Endearment because I'm going to punch myself. I should know this. It's not Olympia Dukakis. It's... Um, 
Oh, smack me upside the head. I know her face. I know her name. And for some Sorry, reason, Dave. I'm, having a, I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> but the movie reminds me so much of the dynamic between my mom and her Deborah mom. Winger, Shirley McLean. Shirley McLean. Thank you. I'm, uh, slap me on the wrist. I knew that, and I, I'm bad, bad movie fan. Anyway, the movie, and she won the Best Actress Oscar for that role. I should have known that. Anyway, it's a movie about mothers and daughters. Well, obviously, I'm not a mother and I'm not a daughter, but I can appreciate it. And the dynamic between that kind of almost love-hate relationship between the two of them in the course of that movie reminds me a lot of ways of my mom and her mom. I mean, they loved each other very, very much, but they were so much in each other's business because we lived so close together. There was a lot of dynamic, and that movie came out about the time that um, I might have been about the age of some of those kids. And it, it just, it, to me, it reflected at the moment when the movie came out and the way that it was and the way that they squabble and they bicker and they this and that, but they truly love each other. But the movie goes in other directions and uh, famously at the end, Deborah Winger dies of, you know, cancer, we assume. And uh, it's it's a tearjerker movie all the way through, but it's it's a catharsis kind of going through. It's, uh, it's such a good one. So me not being a mother or a daughter, obviously... To make me resonate and feel for those characters in a way that I don't naturally have it built into me is a, is a testament to what a movie like that done right can do. It's not always sad cries either. Sometimes it's yeah. sometimes it's very happy cries um, or or things that make you tear up out of out of happiness. Speaking of happiness, how about the pursuit of happiness? Yeah. In that regard, there yeah. there's a movie where, boy, at the end you. You see Will Smith's reaction, and you're you're so happy for him, and yet there's also been this build throughout this movie too, where you you start to just I don't know you you start to feel it getting a little dusty in there, but it's in a happy sense with that one because here Chris has worked his way through this entire movie, and he has just been grinding this entire movie, grinding on this internship, trying to keep his life together with his son and trying just trying to keep them afloat basically and now he lands this this the prestigious job. job that he's been working toward this whole movie and i love the reaction i love uh, the way that they tell him that he got the job and he just is you you can tell with the way that he responds, it just—I can tell it's it, starting it, to wave you over can, you now. No, like it—I'm trying to describe it in in the way that that Chris reacts because he doesn't really say much of anything, but you his face see, tells it. You see his face just starting to puff up and his eyes starting to puff up, and it it was just so well done in that manner. It was so well done um, to to finish it up that way, and then of course his his response when he raises his fists in the air when he gets out there in the. Uh, in the crowd of people and, and just the realization finally sets in that, that he's, that he's made it, that, that they've made it. That's and, an underappreciated movie. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. People, in, in terms of a happy cry kind of feel. Well, I yeah. mean, just as far as a movie, it's one of those that in a way kind of came and went, but you still see memes popping up about it. Um, it's, it's a movie that I think is one of those like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. When the first, when it first came out in 89, it was like, eh, okay. But now it's become an all time classic. It isn't now what it was when it first came out. It took a little while for it to really bake in. I have a feeling that the pursuit of happiness is going a similar trajectory. It's going to be more appreciated as it goes forward. And Will Smith, he, you know, is always remembered as the Fresh Prince or Bad Boys or Independence Day or Men in Black. But then you find, Six Degrees of Separation, or you find The Pursuit of Happiness, or his job in Ali, playing Muhammad Ali. He is an underrated actor, and he can convey it. Like you said, the moment he gets that job, he doesn't say anything to my recollection. It's just all nonverbal body language. Choking How he got his words, facial muscles basically. to do that, I yeah. don't know, but I mean, wow. And and it's cool seeing him and his son, too. Like real his life real son, life yeah. son, yeah. The, and watching them go through that journey. Uh, within that movie too. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. We are talking tear jerkers today. Most of them are sad tear jerkers though. Those those romantic movies, those are the ones especially. I mean there's you could say there's a formula, but when you look at each of those movies, there there's not always a set formula to it, although it often will involve tragedy or a star-crossed kind of nature to it. But not always that, that, that it'll get you to, to be moved to tears by that. But there's a reason why movies like A Walk to Remember or The Notebook or 
Titanic are ones that, you know, when people talk about movies that make them cry, that th- those are commonly put in that category. Absolutely. There's always, I think we talked a lot about fathers and sons. I think we might as well touch the most broad base, obvious base, fathers and sons with uh, Field of Dreams. This was a movie that the very first time I ever saw Field of Dreams, some fast food restaurant was offering with the purchase of this sandwich, you can buy a, one of the four movies they had for like two bucks. I was like, yeah, why not? And all the others I'd seen, but I hadn't seen Field of Dreams and I heard it was good and obviously they're not going to put it in a promotion like this. Who'd want to buy a bad movie? So I bought it, two bucks on VHS. Went home, had my hamburger and watched it and just loved that movie. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you walk outside after and things smell nicer and the sun is brighter. And Again, a there's, gr- a, there's a happy cry. There's kind of a catharsis and it's about, you know, fathers and sons and this animosity between this, you know, Kevin Costner and his dad who you don't meet. And then you find out you, you, this, his dad died before he was able to take back some arguments that he'd said and he's kind of in a way trying not to be his father realizing that he really appreciated his father for what he was and what he did. You don't always appreciate that when you're younger, but you get it when you get older, only to realize at the very end that one of the ghosts that's come back to play baseball is his father. And you want to have a catch, Dad? There's not a guy I don't know that at the very least does a <laughs> little nostril hair twinge, you know, or full-out blubbering. I've seen it. You know, and you just, as a guy, if you're in the room with another guy who's having a breakdown during Field of Dreams, it's okay. You just you do not make eye contact. You find a screw in the wall that is the most interesting screw you've ever seen, and you can't not take your eyes off of it so you don't lock oh. eyes with your blubbering buddy. It and does, it's one of those that's okay. It does amaze me. That movie, The how many men talk about how that movie really, really yeah. hits home for them. You know, that the father-son aspect, though, like you said, that's what really... What really hits home on on that one. Uh, and I'll tell you another thing. You know, guys, as a almost a rule are very stereotypically non-affectionate. I mean, maybe with their wives, but not always with their kids, especially not their sons. They just, you know, we don't cry, we don't do this, we don't kiss, you know. I I wasn't raised like that. Granted, my my dad wasn't a big hugger-kisser, but, you know, sure, you know, we did. And I made a point in the last few years to, you know, force the issue. I was like, Dad, I'm going to give you a hug. Here comes a kiss, you know, because you you knew you only had so many left. With my kiddo, Oh, we're affectionate like crazy. Even this morning, we're on the couch watching a show, and he's uh, he, he grabs my hand and puts it on his knee because he wants me to tickle his knee while he's relaxing watching he his show. And wanted watching. you to do that? I don't mean like tickle, tickle, tickle. I mean like oh. gently. Oh, that like a, like a back tickle when you're going oh, to bed. Oh, okay. And I don't have the slightest bit of problem with that. You know, if at some point he did not in front of the guys, don't hug or kiss me. He dropped me off three blocks away. I get it. I was there too. Okay. But, you know, I I like that he is affectionate like that because that's kind of what A Field of Dreams is about. I didn't get enough, and now it's it's too late. Or is it? But ghosts don't generally come back to play a game of catch in your cornfield. So part of the message, it's not the message, but it's one of them is carpe diem in a way. Get, you know, you got to move past. You got to enjoy while you have it because then it's gone. And it's almost a movie about second chances for a lot of guys, mm-hmm. whether it's Archie Graham getting to play baseball, even if it is as a ghost, so to speak. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's such a great movie to see, and it's, gonna make, it's one of those few that will make the men cry. Women, too, but the men, <laughs> it's expected, and it's okay. Let's come back to the romances in a little bit, okay. because the other one that really gets men commonly, it seems like if you ask them, is there one that, he, that makes you tear up? The only movies that I, I would never say that a movie has made me cry. There's been movies that have made me tear up, and war movies are another common one that that will get men to at least tear up. Whether it's been their own experiences with war that they've had, or just knowing about the impact of war, it seems like that one is a very common one um, that that elicits that response and and gets you to that sort of response. Um, whether it is the very end of Saving Private Ryan, you know, the the final scene on the, well, the second to last scene on the bridge. I think that's one that, that really gets to you. And Captain Miller is is saying to Private Ryan, earn this. You know, that that kind of hits you a little bit in that way. Or um, maybe it's just 
I think I think war is a, a very common one. That that movie especially is one that that it seems it has an ability to be able to to reach out and do that. Not every war movie does that. I mean, some are some are just gratuitous with the way that they approach war or, or look at that. But well, there are about, others that that hit a little bit differently. Before you leave Saving Private Ryan, think about the emotional journey you take on that. I mean, you are shell shocked the first twenty minutes of that movie. I mean, you just <laughs> that helps set it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're just you're completely shattered. And it's just you're just in shock, and you go from that over the course of the movie to just a blubbering mess. It's catharsis, you know. How many times have I said that during this podcast? Maybe we should make it a drinking game. Every time Dave says cathartic or any variation thereof, <laughs> everyone gets your orange juice or whatever and have a shit. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So it's one of those that it's amazing. You talk about how movies manipulate your emotions. There is a prime example of how it can take you from soup to nuts. I mean, complete polar opposites, and how it takes you there over a war movie. It's it's amazing how that catharsis, take a drink, works its way through. It does. And again, like I said, that's not every war movie, but there are some that will that will grab you like that, especially if there is a journey involved, if there is an investment involved, if there is a sacrifice that's involved too. Those those kinds of things can can play a much bigger role in being able to elicit that kind of response. Yeah. I'm all of a sudden thinking from saving Private Ryan to Forrest Gump. What a bipolar roller coaster that movie is. You go from, no, not mom, to a high meeting Elvis, and then go into the White House, and then not Jenny. You know, it's just, it's up and it's down, and it's up and it's down. It's got a great orchestral score by Alan Silvestri, who's very well known, um, who did a great job. Plus, just about every pop music song that ever was popular at all during that era, from the 50s through the early 80s. They all are there to bring up your highs and bring up your lows. And it seems like shortly after one of the lows, you always get those pop songs kick in. Oh, I love this song. And it helps bring your mood up as the story also does the same thing. It is an up and down roller coaster that leaves you in a great spot. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I'm due to rewatch it. But it's one of those that, I mean, there's no wonder that Tom Hanks didn't win. It was a second Second Oscar when he won that one or Philadelphia? I can't remember which came first, Philadelphia or Forrest Gump, but he won them back to back. And uh, you'll see why. What a great job uh, Robert Zemeckis directing it. And what an up and a down and a great chemistry between uh, you know Forrest and Jenny. You know, peas and carrots, peanut butter and chocolate, Jen A. Cartoon movies have a way of doing it too, you know? Oh, yeah. Pixar, they've they've thrived off of that. That's That's been something that they've done really well too is being I able to get- I know what you're get- up to. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. One that I haven't seen, but that I've heard does that a little bit, is Inside Out. There's some people who've talked about that one doing that. Toy Story, Toy Story Three, I think, especially yeah. got some people with the ending there. But yeah, Up is is the one that really hits home. Um, you could you could go even further back too. You can go like, to Bambi with Bambi's mom Bambi, being shot. Fox the land and the before Hound. time that yeah. got me crying. Yep. But but yeah, Up I think is the one that might take the cake in the animated realm because of the opening of Up. You just you go through the life of Carl and Ellie and and their marriage together and the ups and downs of it, and boy, that that hits you home. It mimics a life in about five minutes or however long that sequence is. It just and it the music as well brings you up and breaks your heart right over its knee and spanks you, and then it bring, and then the movie brings you up from there. Literally, that's, that's right. Yeah, boy, oh boy, what a what a tale that is, and and in a short, essentially, just in an open there, boy, it it hits you home. It, it hits home pretty easily, and 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 gets you with uh, just the way it brings kind of real life into a cartoon or real life for some people into a cartoon. I'll tell you so. a quick story about what you're talking about. So years ago, Toy Story three was newish. And a movie came out, what, 2010? Yeah, like that? 2010. So it's like 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. And we get invited to a friend's house for a barbecue. Turned out to be kind of a rainy day. So we're eating a little more inside. And the kids that they had are being a little restless. So they turn on Disney or whatever it was. And Toy Story 3 comes on. Well, many people at the barbecue had never seen it. They'd seen the first two, loved them. And so they're just kind of, you know, in the background, like you'd be at a barbecue and you can't be outside doing things because it's pouring rain. So you kind of come inside. Basically, the barbecue, the fun-loving barbecue atmosphere turned into Let's Watch This and Toy Story 3. You know, it doesn't end on a down note, but it's kind of a sad note. You know, everything's changing. It'll be okay. 
but it's changing and it's sad. So long, partner. This entire barbecue just devolves into, do you guys want another burger? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Oh, Thump. man. Just, I mean, it just turned into the most depressing Whoa. barbecue wow. you'd ever heard of in your life because people are watching these toys they're breaking up. They're emotionally cut up. Yeah, they're oh. emotionally cut up just like their meat. <laughs> everyone to this day remembers, remember that barbecue where everyone cried? Yeah. Wait, what? What? People that weren't there are like, what? What? Who cries at a barbecue? If you were there, you would have cried too. We're not going to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> and you don't even you don't even enunciate what it was that made people cry. But just make them wonder. It was Toy Story three. Here's another one that gets people, Dave. <laughs> pets. If you involve pets in some way, especially go Marley and me, Marley and me, and Old Yeller. Yeah. Pre- somewhat more recent past, further past. Boy, those seem to be the two that really that really hit home as well. If you've had a dog, those are the ones that get you. I remember when Marley and Me came out, and I'd read the book, so I knew it was coming in the movie, um, but it was uh, one of those where people got mad because it was advertised as like a Christmas family comedy. It was. Dogs passed. One of the good things about dogs is that, I mean, it's not a good thing, but it is kind of, is that they generally don't have long lifespans. We have two at the house, and they're bigger dogs, and the bigger the breed, the shorter the lifespan. And the average lifespan for the dogs we have is like eight years old. And already they're nine and ten, so they're already on the back end, so you know what's coming sooner than later. And with our kiddo at the house, this is going to be, in some ways, his first real touch with death. I mean, we've had a lot of it in the house, but it was when he was too young to really understand what's going on and why. These are, you know, critters that are in the house every day, every morning on cuddles and snuggles and licks and kisses and plays. And at some point, sooner than later, it's going to go away. And it's, 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 it's not a bad tool to raise a kid on because there's going to be a lot of that in your life. So it's, they're fun, but they're bad. And Marley and Me is all about that, right? It's, it's all fun and games until the dog's health turns because they've got a situation called bloat where the stomach twists and nothing comes in, nothing comes out. Well, you can't live like that. And so the bigger the breed, the likelier that that can happen. And that's what happens. And Marley and me, old yeller is rabies. That's right. How is the difference between, you know, it's a fun movie, both of them, right up until old yeller gets into the fight with the wolves and gets rabies and has to be shot. We did mention spoilers at the beginning of this. Yes, we did. It's, it's all fun and games and Marley is such a pain in the butt, but you, she grows on you and then she gets the bloat and you have to put her down. You know, it's it's sad, and so people come in, this will be fun, Mom and Dad, and everybody to a T is walking out of the movie, <laughs> and mad parents, because their kids are walking out sad, you know, it's life, it just is, and it's not to say that I didn't cry during E.T., I of course did, of course E.T. comes back, but still, you, you, you don't get the air let out of your balloon, so to speak, at the end of E.T. as much as you do with Marley and me, or even Old Yeller has a glimmer of hope, and so does Marley and me. But no one was flipping out in the 60s when Old Yeller came out, but something about our new generation, Marley and me, there's boycotts. Don't do it. Some guy bought a movie poster or like a like an advertising billboard. The dog dies at the end. People are picketing in front of the movie because the dog died at the end of the movie, which, I mean, come on. I mean, I understand, but at the same time, really? Really? Come on. We get characters who pass away at the end of movies, too, in these these romantic ones. And in some ways, you get the rug swept out from under you in that case. I mean, yeah. When, it, when, it, involves, when it involves pets, it's, sometimes it's a little too much for people. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree, because they're cute and they're cuddly. I know a guy that's a cabinet maker that cries at the end of Titanic, not because that you know Leo drowns, but because... He certainly could have got up on that thing. That was an XYZ model. You could fit two people on that thing. They could have kept them both up. I'm pretty sure, you know, <laughs> yep. that gave furniture a bad name. And he, you know, I think he's fooling. But, you know, but I understand this is a great movie from the early 80s based on a play called On Golden Pond. And it's uh, Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda and Catherine Hepburn. And they're driving around in these wood boats. And I'm a big wood boat fan. I actually have one. And the one in the movie looks almost identical to one that my uncle has. And it's one that I grew up with. And there's a scene in the movie where they crash it onto the rocks. And they did it for real. They really crashed one of those boats. To this day, I can't watch that scene. When it's coming, I have to look away. Because as you're driving those boats, you really make a point, you know, not to hit the rocks. And so to watch those boats literally get broken apart... 
Uh, you know, it's easier for some reason to watch Indiana Jones and the and the Last Crusade when they're chopping those boats up in the propeller versus on Golden Pond. Because when are you going to be pulling up along some giant steam liner and a giant propeller that's sticking out of the water going to chop you up versus, oh, you hit a rock in the bay? That can happen. I know people that have hit sandbars and sunk in their boats and things. That happens. So it's more realistic. I don't want to see it. Kind of, ping. Pulls that nostril hair for me, and you just kind of get Well, you're that. losing a lot of nostril hairs here during the course of I know of this it. Episode. You call me Baldy Cave. Yeah. Okay, moving on from that. <laughs> That's but called painting a word picture. There is there is nothing that seems to hit uh, quite as frequently, though, as the, the, the love aspect of it. If love is in the equation, whether it's loving your pet or loving your significant other, that is where a lot of the tears come from it seems like with i mean romantic movies they just do that oh, yeah. even, even movies within movies if you're watching them like i think of i think of sleepless in seattle and the way an affair to remember keeps coming up in that movie and people were like people say frequently throughout that movie it's like that movie or hey it's like that movie i, I think of rita wilson her character when, when she's like Hey, it's like that movie, An Affair to Remember. And then she starts describing it, and she starts crying. And her husband and Tom Hanks and his character, they're they're just looking at her going, No, Dirty Dozen. Yeah, Dirty Dozen. Speaking of war movies that, that might get a grown man to cry. They're, they're, and then they start blubbering, and she she's like, you're you're messing with me right now. Like, Rita Wilson is not happy no. at all about that. Um, but, so... Yeah, but romance, romantic movies, love, especially if there's a tragic angle to it. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get the tears then um, at the end, especially if there's been a, a a deep emotional build and you get committed to these two characters who are together, and then something that comes between them or threatens to come between them. Well, we just mentioned it, so let's circle back around to Titanic. You know, I I can draw comparisons between. What Titanic does right and what the movie Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck and Josh Hart does wrong, both of them are really love stories set against a tragic background. You know, you have a love triangle with uh, Ben Affleck and Josh Hart and it both falling for uh, the same gal. Uh, and you have Titanic, two star-crossed lovers that meet on a doomed ocean expedition. You know, and it's not about the tragic history right until up it is. You know, well, here comes the Japanese attack. Well, here comes the iceberg. And then the movie shifts. And then it kind of shifts back to the love mode a little bit. But Titanic did it so well while, you know, Pearl Harbor kind of forced it, I felt. It just didn't feel real natural, the love story. But Titanic, boy, nailed it. And you don't think about James Cameron, who does the Terminator and Aliens as a teller of love stories. You know, but but with Avatar, he did it. He really did. With Titanic, he absolutely did. I remember... It was the hardest thing to go see that movie for a long time because it's such a long movie and everybody went and saw it and saw it again and saw it again. I don't think I saw it till it was out for two weeks. We couldn't go, and we just you couldn't get tickets. And we were a bunch crazy. of us. There was a bunch of us. We we're going to all go together. There was one night that I think it was like we'll say seven of us, and there were only five tickets available for the last showing. Well, what are you going to do? Five of us go, and the other two. Well, we'll see you later, guys. You know, no, you just nobody went because we're all going together or we're not going at all. And so it took another couple attempts to go. But it was one of those movies where everybody walks out just crying. And I'm an advocate of I think it'd be funny if, you know, as you're standing in line to go into the movie theater, you know, when people are going to movie theaters, which, you know, ours is reopening, by the way, Bemidji Theater, go get some concessions. But back to the story. If it's a comedy, save a last sip of your drink and then pour the last little bit on your crotch so it looks like you've been wetting your pants while laughing. If it's a tearjerker, get a couple of drops of your Sprite or whatever under your eyes and you know maybe push your, your fist into your eyes so it's all red and bloodshot. So you're advertising to the people waiting to come in the movie that you just saw coming out. If it's a comedy and you walk out stone-faced, that doesn't sell the comedy, right? Right. If it's a horror movie and you're not coming out with your knees shaking, it doesn't sell... Same thing with you know with a tearjerker. You ought to look like you've been in there just crying over your dead parents. You know, it just looks like you ought to really be wailing it up. You know, your husband's got your arm around you. There, there, there. It's okay. <laughs> you know, that's how you should come out, even if you got to fake it. But Titanic was one of those that you didn't have to fake it. I didn't cry during it. It doesn't get me that way. But I really, really enjoyed the movie. It is a good movie. 
Um, I'm into it maybe more for the historical angle of things. But at the end of the movie, I thought the one thing that if I could adjust slightly, maybe it would be pushing it over the top, but no more than Jaws having the shark explode. It's unrealistic, but it got him, you know. So the old lady, that's all about this. The whole MacGuffin of the movie is this diamond, like the Hope Diamond, the jewel of the ocean or whatever they call it. And they're trying to find it on the sunken ship. And, of course, that leads to the story and so forth. And it turns out the old lady, Rose, has it the whole time. And she climbs up the back of the ship and drops it in so it'll go to where the people basically are. It'll go back down to the ship. What they should have done, as the subs are pulling up from the bottom, so you got that light, is finding the little manacle shackles that Leonardo DiCaprio was wearing. And, of course, there's no bodies down there. They've all you know disintegrated or whatever. But you find those manacles on the ground. And the Hope Diamond bloop, falls right into the middle of the shackle. So it's almost like they found each other in a way. So, and of course, just after she oh, does it, Dave, she passes away. See? Are you are you trying to completely destroy people's <laughs> emotions here? Like, I can't even. Man. Well, that's the point. Let's let's give it just one more downshift into over. There we go. There we go. Wow. Because that would be the way that they, in, in a way, they kind of do it. Because just after she does it. She passes Isn't away Celine in her sleep. Dion enough for you? Isn't no, her no. belting out, you're here, there's nothing to fear enough for you? <laughs> no. No. Wow. Get the hydrants going, you, gals. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't get enough of, of pushing the emotional buttons But they here, do apparently. it. I mean, the last shot of the movie is her spirit being welcomed back aboard the ship, so to speak, by all the others that perished, including in the center of it all, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you know, it's almost like a Broadway send-off where they all come out the cast back on the stage for a bow. It's almost like that's the case. Yes. And evidently there's a there's a different ending. If you go look it up, it's probably on YouTube. I know it's on the disc where there was an alternate ending where everyone was aware that she had the diamond. And they all come out onto the back of the ship as she's about to throw it off and she's going to jump off the back of the ship was the alternate ending that they didn't use. So I, I like the one that they – oh, yeah, it's true. It's uh you can go you can find it's on YouTube it's on the desk it wouldn't have had the same amount of impact had it been just drop the diamond you know and then she passes away in her sleep just like Leo said she would you're gonna die warm and comfortable in your sleep surrounded by your friends and family and all the pictures that are around the bed is that she's outlived everybody except her right. daughter you know it's it's a great movie it's a great ending um you know James Cameron when he wants to pull at the heartstrings and not the you know Terminator aspect he can do it. <laughs> The man, yeah. the man could almost do no wrong, yeah. Except for Piranha Two. Well, yeah, we won't talk about that. Yeah, that emotional impact gets really felt when you bring romance into the equation, when you bring love into the equation, especially people's experiences with it, or whether it's a happy kind of ending with it, and, and the happy cry, or or a sad ending like that, and and the sad cry that comes with it too. Well, um, love, ask- love just has a way of of really hitting home in that way if you want a tearjerker kind of movie. Is there a love story movie that connects with you, Hoove, maybe on a personal level? I mean, I told you that the that one that gets me. me? The one that got me, and it's not a romantic one, it's the big fish. That's the one that always gets me for personal reasons. Is there one, romantic or otherwise, that connects well, with you personally? Um, here's one. Moment. Here's one that I appreciated, and it's not necessarily a quote-unquote love story at the core, but it was a sure. love story that was part of the story. One that I thought had a great payoff to it was in the Avengers, with Avengers Endgame, and with with Captain Steve Rogers and Peggy, Peggy Carter, and the payoff that you get there in Avengers Endgame. I was so happy with that. Like I was, I was like, hey, I'm. I'm close to tearing up here. Like this is something that I've really wanted to see work out. Like and and I love the old school feel of of just their story plus the music that they had there. It's been a long long time. Um oh man, that was that was such a poignant way to end that movie which you're already emotional. I I think already enough a lot of people were emotional. I was more so whoa. Like with with Tony Stark's death in in the movie, but we did mention spoilers. 
a long time ago. <laughs> I hope people have got the idea by now. Um, I mean, you talked about her throwing the Blue Star Diamond over the well, part of the ocean. Anyway, over the Titanic. But yeah, with um, with their payoff of their story and the fact that they they got there. He did get the girl. He did get the girl. He Even though you had to wait through several movies on that. And About it kept 20 on, of them, if I remember. Uh, yeah, and you had to... <laughs> it, it was kind of a background kind of piece of... All right, you got to let this go by now, Steve. You got to let this go. But nope. for that for that guy who's waited it out, who's had to wait it out. Boy, that was that was some great payoff with that. That was some awesome payoff and that's like a whoa. That that's cool. That's cool for the person who's who's waiting. There's like a All right, that's pretty neat kind of moment. So, that's that's one that comes to mind. On the romantic front, I don't know. With romantic movies, they they hit me a, a little bit different, or I I appreciate them in a little bit of a different way. Or, or the melancholy ones that that are sometimes out there are kind of like a they don't make you tear up, but they they at least work on your emotional heartstrings. That's you, how it is sometimes for me. I'd say as much as I liked seeing Captain and Peggy get together, I think the emotional toll for me on that movie was actually you know the movie doesn't go the way you think it's going to go when it starts. Okay, they're going to find Thanos and they're going to get him. Yeah, in like the first 15 minutes they get him. But it doesn't fix anything. They have to get the time travel involved. And Tony now has a daughter. And in order to fix this means he has to potentially erase his perfect destiny, which he does. And it costs him his life. So everything he wanted, he gets. And as much as Steve gets the girl, he does not get his happy ending because he has to alter the timeline to fix the greater good which means he loses his thing. So what an ultimate sacrifice in a way. And that got me more than anything else. I don't think I teared up over it, but I mean, at the time that the movie came out, I was still, a, you could, I knew enough that I could say a new father. I'm like, why would I give that up myself? You know, I can relate to that. You know, why would you, why would you ever alter something to maybe improve life for everybody? But it, it cost me my kid. Put, would I make that sacrifice? Put those elements together though Oh yeah, and it adds up really nicely to then hit that on that emotional kind of kind of punch that they wanted to pack there. Well, sure, you find out about Steve Rogers at Tony's funeral, you know. So you're already getting, you know, you're already at a wake, and then on top of that, why isn't he coming back? Who's that old guy? You know, it just it all kind of comes together. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you one that gets me on a romantic level and in a weird way is because it kind of reminds me of when I was a kid in summer love and you get those relationships in the summertime and at the end of summer, maybe you go into different towns, you go to different schools that are far away. And it seems funny now because I can you know get in the car and drive to say Black Duck, which is maybe 20 minutes north of Bemidji. It's not that big a deal, but when you're 15... I'm not driving a car. Even when you're 13, I can't get in the car and drive to Black Duck. And mom said she's not taking me anymore. She may as well live in California. you know. And then there's times where you do get a gal at summer camp, but she lives in California. When summer camp is over, she's gone, you're here, and it's done. You, know, you can write or you can text these days or whatever. But I always thought uh, a great fun comedy, Doc Hollywood, was about that. Michael J. Fox and Julie Warner. It's it set in kind of he's a he's a big city guy and I grew up down in the Twin Cities and I spent a lot of time in the Northwoods especially in the Brainerd area and uh, you'd have those relationships so in a weird way here's this big city guy dropped into this rural environment meets this great gal and then he goes back to the city and they're apart you know it's it's just your heart is pining for what it had and the only thing that's keeping it apart really is geography you know you could go back. But you got to sacrifice something. And not like that's going to happen at summer camp. Your parents are like, no, no. You live in California. He lived in Minnesota. I'm glad you had two weeks at camp. You can go again next year. Maybe he'll be. That's kind of how they deal with it, you know. That pining, that yearning for what you can't have. And when you're a kid and you're very limited in your ability to do something like that. If you go to some conference and you meet some gal and sparks fly and whatever, you theoretically could pick up and move to, you know, Alabama or wherever she moved to or whatever the case. And make a go of it but you know it's i felt that from my you know pre-teen you know puppy dog you know that you know what i mean it's kind of personified that we talked about that earlier it's if you've been there and you've experienced that which a lot of these movies try to speak to is hey people have experienced this or something like this sometimes movies transport you into a different world and and a different kind of experience but sometimes movies are 
relational in that way. They they are capturing a moment in time that many or an experience that many people have gone through. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of those where it may not be exact. In some cases, it is. This is exactly the way it was. You'd be amazed on what it is. Um, there's one movie that has a sink in it that looks a lot like the one that was in my house. It's the dumbest thing, but it's connective tissue. I had that sink. My goodness, this is real. You know, that's, that could be my house. And so the things that happen there, as dumb as that sounds, makes, I don't know, pulls you in more. Maybe that's a way, I don't, I don't know. But it's interesting how that can go. If, you, if it's similar to something that you've had in your life experience, it just enhances it. It almost brings it back out of you. Sure does. You know, you'll see a movie that is reminiscent of something that happened to you 40 years ago. And all of a sudden, this thing that you'd kind of forgotten about almost comes rushing back. Maybe it's because she looked like so-and-so or there was a sink or whatever it was. It's amazing if and when that happens, the power that it has over you. (laughs) That's right. We've certainly discussed that over the course of this past hour. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, reopening along with theaters around the state um, and getting ready to hopefully have movies hitting the screen again here soon. But at the very least, you can get your concessions there. As yeah, By all we, means, please do. Yes, please do. As Even if you're not feeling like being out and about right now. As we have been cutting onions here for this past hour, talking about the tearjerkers. And if we've not bit. talked about your tearjerker, don't cry over it. That's right, yeah. Although, if you, if you do need to, yes, it, I did. If you do need to, um, we'll pass you the Kleenex. The fine people at Kleenex have a soft, thin, disposable tissue just for you. So, endings next time, Dave. Speaking of endings, we talked tearjerker type of ones. We're going to talk the good and the bad. Sticking the landing or not so much. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that should make for a, a pretty a pretty rich episode next time around. So, stay tuned till then. Until then, until next time, I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.